Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Nearly 38 million people are living with HIV around the globe. Yes, I said 38 million people. That's a lot of people. One bright spot is that new HIV infections have been reduced and AIDS-related mortality have declined. However, my friends, this fight is far, far from over, and this disease continues to threaten all of us, every single one of us. This podcast we will explore different perspectives in the fight against AIDS. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to be here today with Jason Walker. Jason is an African-American man, a HIV AIDS activist from New York City. How are you, Jason? I'm doing well. Great. So uh, I'm very thankful for you to be here and speaking uh, with us. Um, I happened to attend the event recently, a gala, and I heard you speak, and it was very powerful, very moving. Thank you. So, yeah, so um, I'm Jason Walker. I'm a, I'm a D.C. native, originally from Washington, D.C. Um, uh, came to New York City about 2012 by way of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, uh, it was in Louisville. That's where I received my HIV AIDS diagnosis. Um, How old were you then? I was 20 years old. 20 I was years a old. college sophomore at the time. Uh, and I found out my status at a school health fair. Oh, wow. Very, very public place. Um, very kind of like a a uncomfortable place to find out you are HIV positive among kind of like your peers. Um, luckily, it was, everything was confidential, of course, but the setting was just not the setting I was expecting to find out something like that. Um, and uh, I ended up in New York. <laughs> and um, now I do HIV AIDS organizing work on both a local, national level. So how do you turn the moment of trauma into a moment of empowerment? Yeah. Um, you know, when I contracted HIV, I was um, fairly like a closeted man at the time. Um, so my HIV status really disrupted my whole world. Um, uh, a year later, my father died um, of, of diabetes, another chronic illness, and I, I dropped out of school. Uh, the back-to-back -back trauma of contracting HIV and learning that I was HIV positive and the passing of my father um, both kind of like destabilized me. And um, I dropped out my senior year and really couldn't muster the, the focus and the strength to actually complete my college degree. Um, I became homeless right after. Oh, wow. um, I was couch surfing. I had to sleep in my abandoned apartment for a couple nights um, because I was just like at a loss of like what to do with myself. And I couldn't necessarily go home and run home and talk to my family about these things because I still was unwilling to talk to myself about it. Um, I finally mustered the, the strength and the confidence to ignore my HIV status and then start working. Um, and then I moved to New York City because um, I wanted to do social justice work. Um, I've always been doing social justice work since I've been 16. Um, so I knew I can come to New York City to pick up and strengthen myself in this world of like social justice and community organizing. Um, but when I found myself in New York City, I found myself homeless again and really relying on the city services for my housing and support as a as a person living with HIV, AIDS, with, with no money. Um, and it's through that, that's when I started to recognize that my HIV diagnosis is connected to a legacy, is connected to a history of folks um, who have HIV and fought back and resisted. When I contracted HIV, all I knew was that I had the virus and that I knew I could die. I did not know about ACT UP. 
I didn't know about HIV's history in New York City. I didn't know about the people living with HIV, AIDS, power, and strength to come together to fight back to ensure that we could live and make sure we end the epidemic. Um, being in New York City connected me to that legacy and that history and connected me to that movement. Um, so I've been doing uh, organizing work for people living with HIV AIDS, not only in the city, but across the state and also I would even say the world um, for nearly six years now. So I'm a young activist, new activist, but I'm continuing a legacy that is 30 years old. That's phenomenal. How was it like talking to your family about your HIV status? So it was extremely tough because my family also didn't know about me being a, a queer man. Um, the only person that did was my sister, who's also queer, identified. Um, so she was the first person I told. Um, and, you know, I was living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and uh, she was in D.C. at my home in, in our hometown. Um, and I called over the phone just crying, just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so when I came home for the summer, um, came back home to DC for the summer, my sister was the first person I saw. And when I saw her, the first thing she did was kiss me on my lips. And she didn't say anything about my status, but I knew for her, that was her way of saying like, nothing's gonna change. Um, and for me, that was the most moving, most powerful way, um, in a most subtle, silent way that um, anyone has ever stood up for me or like um, showed me that they supported me it was just a, a gentle, simple kiss that like, hey, nothing will ever change. Um, for my mother and my twin brother, it was much harder. Um, it took me at least five years um, in my, my diagnosis to tell my, my twin brother, who was, you know, a straight black man and my mother, um, just because I didn't. I didn't want to feel that stigma, right? Because I knew they may have that, because that also meant that I had to tell them that I was queer and it was just a lot. Um, so I told them I was queer first <laughs> and just see where they were at that. And when I told my mother I was queer, the first thing she said was, but well, don't catch HIV. I was already positive at this time. So in my mind, I was like, well, I'm damn sure not telling you now. Um, uh, but eventually I had to because my work in activism really, I was proud of it. Like I'm getting awards, I'm getting recognized for this work and I wanted my mother to be proud of me as well. So when I got my first award for being an HIV positive activist from Paz Magazine at the time, um, that's when I was like, I have to tell my mother. Um, and when I told her, you can, like she was immediately like disappointed, like, oh man, damn, we gotta deal with this, which triggered me because that's not the reaction I wanted. I just wanted that embrace. I wanted that, it's okay, everything's gonna be okay, nothing's changed, I'm proud of you, still my son. Um, but it was that split second of just quick disappointment, quick grief maybe it was, can't really name what that emotion was, but it wasn't the embrace that I had from my sister. Um, so that triggered me and we had a really kind of like, you know, emotional moment. Um, but in the end, we're doing well. My mother is gonna be speaking at her first World AIDS event this Sunday. Um, we're gonna be speaking together here at, at a church and she's gonna talk about how she loves and support our HIV positive son. So uh, over time, things got better and, um, and now we're here now. That's amazing. So you, feel, you mentioned that you had a difficult time, one, talking, accepting your new status, mm -hmm. but also talking to your family about your status. If you look into the new diagnosis from the next, last two years, 40% of them is within the African-American community. Mm -hmm. How do you, do we reach this community? How do you, with your platform, reach this community to be more open, to drop the stigma and talk a little bit more about HIV, AIDS and prevention? Yeah, so I think like there, there's two factors. There's one, 
the issue of stigma that operates within all communities, right? I think, I believe every community is dealing with the same amount of stigma when it comes to HIV AIDS. Um, but not every community is dealing with the issue of access, right? And whether or not they have access or health infrastructures in their, their areas. Um, one of the challenges and struggles with the, the black community in particular, and more so um, men who have sex with men who are, who are black identified, is that um, we stay within our communities. And, um, uh, and there is no Im investment or infrastructure in our communities. Um, many other peers, whether that's in particular like white men who have sex with men, um, they have infrastructure in their communities. They have Chelsea's, Hell's Kitchens, Boys Town, um, uh, WeHo, Cashel districts. Um, but we can't think of any black gayborhoods in those set ways. I cannot think either. Yeah, because we, we stay within our communities, right? So public health interventions can target those communities where um, populations are high risk, um, but that investment has to operate and exist for the black community holistically as a whole. You can't do the same targeted approach. Um, and that's what happens is folks wanna replicate the model that worked very successfully for black gay men. So you know where they leave, you know where the, their, their communities are. Um, but when it's time to look for my community, people are like, I don't know where you are. But we're, 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 in, we're in the places where we've always been. We're, we're in East New York, we're in Brownsville, we're in Bed-Stuy, we're in Harlem, we're in DC, we're in Atlanta, we're, we're in those places. Um, so public health initiatives have to just look at the black community as a whole and not try to be so um, focused on looking and identifying a singular group, which is what they like to say, MSMs. We want to do MSMs right. intervention. Um, the interventions have to be for the black community holistically, um, just because our communities are situated differently than our other um, gay peers who are not um, from the black community. As an activist, what's your main focus? What's your main <clears throat> objective? Um, access, equitable access, ensuring that those who have less get more and making sure that those have who have enough maintain those uh, levels of services and um, maintain their level of access. We have to make sure that the folks who have the least or experience the, the tougher barriers have greater opportunities and greater resources so that they can overcome those barriers as a community and as a group. Um, there's some other groups who um, their access to healthcare, medicine, PrEP, um, uh, treatment or prevention, uh, those, those barriers do not look the same. Um, so we have to be very um, uh, transparent, real and honest about what those barriers look like on a, both a systemic level and on an interpersonal level. There are things that happen, you know, there are issues and challenges that my community face that are unique. And we have to have real conversations about stigma, homophobia, um, and but do it in a way that is um, uh, compassionate and advancing to our shared goals, of which is ending the HIV AIDS epidemic in this country and the pandemic globally. You are a remarkable person. What's next for Jason? What's next? You know, we're, <laughs> we're still trying to figure it out. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking to um, step out a lot more further um, in much more bold ways in my, my activism. I um, mean, just seeing what it looks like from a, a, a greater platform and see what uh, national and international HIV AIDS work look like. Because um, more work needs to be done. And um, I feel like there's a spot there for me in there. Jason, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate your time here today. Thank you.